say good morning to all of our uh, YouTube streamers and our Facebook uh, streamers that are out there. If you're streaming on Facebook, applaud right now. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. Not, we're not going to know anything. Um, I also want to remind you guys that step three of the growth track is right after this service. So step three of the growth track, uh, it's, not a, it's only like, it's a quick one, um, by probably a half an hour. It'll start as soon as the service is over. You can find out about all the different ways that you can serve and join Team Vineyard. So we are in week seven of the Trozen. It is hard to believe that it's seven weeks. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed, you know, just kind of doing this deep dive into what it means to be chosen. Isaiah 43 verse 1 is our theme verse. Uh, I tell it to you every week because it would be a good thing for you to memorize, have this, you know, ready to call on when you need it. Uh, now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. And, uh, so, so we're doing episode seven. Now just remember, all of our life groups, by the way, life group leaders, life group people, uh, we are not meeting this week. It's Thanksgiving week. And so we're taking the whole week off of life groups. Uh, we hope to see many of you on Wednesday night at our Thanksgiving Eve service, which is really a fun time. Uh, and um, come with your testimonies, ready to give glory to God for what he's done in your life as he's just continuing to be the one who knows us by name and is with us. Um, so I'm going to talk today about Nicodemus. Episode, if you've seen episode seven, it really focuses on Nicodemus quite a bit, who's been kind of a major, a major character in this season one of The Chosen, uh, and actually gives me an opportunity. So next weekend is Thanksgiving, and so I was going to do like a, you know, just a message about being thankful, but I think it's going to be an extra chosen message because we haven't talked about Matthew, who's one of the major characters. The eighth one, I'm going to be talking about the woman at the well, if you're familiar with it, but uh, next week's going to be a bonus chosen sermon about Matthew, uh, so, which is mostly from, from the same episode, episode seven. So Nicodemus, that's who we're talking about today. And, uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you you know, normally what I do is I, 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 we talk about, the, you know, the, give you the message, and then at the end, I'll show a clip, and, uh, and, you know, usually just kind of the most powerful, and if you haven't seen the episode, it's a total spoiler alert for when you watch it with your life group, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to do it a little different today. I'm going to show the entire conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, which is about 10 minutes long, but I'm chop I chopped it up into four parts, so we'll be able to kind of, it's going to, I think, help kind of get us, you know, through the part of the sermon that I, that I want to focus on, uh, and so we're trying something a little bit different with that. So, so here's what we know about Nicodemus, all right? So, so we know, first of all, Nicodemus, he shows up in John chapter 3, um, the, our, it's going to be our text today, and you're going to see this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. So, so we, we know from John chapter 3, then he shows up again at the end of John. I'll get into that later on. But we know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And, uh, and so a Pharisee, we hear Pharisee now, we think like religious hypocrite, somebody who, you know, was angry and judgmental. But you just got to know, though, that that's not how first century Jewish people thought of Pharisees. I mean, Pharisees, they were the, they were huge. They were, you know, it was a very religious society. Religion was the most important thing. They were at the top of the heap. So Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, he would have a lot of Twitter followers. He'd be kind of like a rock star. He'd be really, really popular, seen as the one who's like someone who's really close to God. On top of that, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. 
And so that was kind of almost like the, the, the Israeli like, Supreme Court, the Jewish ruling council. Uh, so he was one of the most powerful, respected, and accomplished men in all of Israel. He was the elite of the elite. Now, something happened. I'm, just, I'm starting with what we know, right? What we know from the text. Something must have happened to Nicodemus. He must have seen something. He must have heard something that made him wonder, like, because a lot of his pharisaical colleagues had written Jesus off, seen him as a threat, seen him as a problem, but Nicodemus wanted to know more. And so the show suggests, one of the things that the show does, which is kind of interesting, is they suggest that maybe some of these people, some of these characters, interacted with each other before meeting Jesus, which maybe they did, maybe they didn't, we don't know. Um, and so they have Nicodemus trying to help Mary Magdalene when she's demonized. He goes, he tries to cast demons out of her unsuccessfully. Then Jesus heals her and he sees her completely transformed. He's like, what in the world happened? They put him, the, the show chose to have him observe last week's episode. Remember when the paralytic was lowered through the roof? Nicodemus was there, he saw it. So we don't know exactly what happened, but we, we know something happened that put Nicodemus on the roof or in that secret meeting place with Jesus to talk with him. Now, John chapter 3 is one of the most important conversations in the history of conversations. It really is. I mean, there's a lot in John chapter 3. That's where Jesus, his conversation with Nicodemus, is where he first talks about the need to be born again. It's the first time that phrase is introduced, you must be born again. It's within the context of this conversation that the most famous Bible verse uh, was said by Jesus, John 3.16. How many of you have had some of your non-Christian friends ask you and say, what does John 3.16 mean? I've had that happen a lot, you know, through the, through the years. I remember even when I was in high school and I, you know, became a Christian. Someone's like, Phil, I got a question for you. And I thought, oh, some great theological question. What is John 3.16? I see that at football games all the time. What's that about? Well, for, which actually was a pretty good intro that my friend gave me to present the gospel to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his, his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So that's John 3.16 is in the conversation with Nicodemus. Now, you guys have probably figured out by now I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm kinda, I kind of like it. You know, I'm two thumbs up. And I got to say, like, I've been, you know, I remember when I was watching it the first time, I enjoyed all of it. I remember being blown away, especially by, you know, so many different parts that we've already seen. But when I got to this, like, I know John chapter 3. I've preached John chapter 3. I've studied John chapter 3. And the way that they made it just be this incredibly seamless convert, like, natural conversation, I was just like, you had me at hello. I mean, I'm, I'm like, you guys, I'm all in. I'm going to make my whole church watch it. You know, we're, gonna, we're going all in on this. Um, but uh, uh, so, so anyway, so, so what we're going to do is uh, I've got, I, I, we're going to talk about what it means to be born again. All right, we're going to talk about the born again experience, misconceptions people have. I'm going to kind of lead us through a discussion so we have a better understanding of, of what Jesus meant when he said you must be born again. And we're going to do it by going through uh, four different clips of this conversation because I want you to see the whole conversation because it really is incredible. So let's watch uh, clip number one, all right? And we'll, we'll jump in. Welcome, Nicodemus. Don't be alarmed. He's waiting for you.
thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. It was no help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? If you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? Don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. The Eastern Slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. Okay, so I debated whether or not I would kind of read through this passage, because really, I mean, it's like the conversation is just right there. But it's good for us to read the Word of God together when we're together. And, uh, and I just also want you to see how seamlessly this conversation follows the text. Verse 1, John 3, verse 1. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. All right, so the born-again experience, the first question I have, you can follow in your notes if you want to open up the app, who is the new birth for? 
who is the new birth for? Now, in a lot of people, the, the phrase, the term, you know, born again, it, it, there's a lot of stereotypes that go with that. There's a lot of confusion that goes with that. Now, remember, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is kind of introducing a new term here, but that's not the case nowadays, right? So, so how many times have you had somebody say to you when they found out that you came to this church or that you were serving or whatever it was, it was like, are you one of them born-again Christians? Like, raise your hand if anyone's ever asked you that. Are you one of them born-again Christians? I've been asked that so many times, and usually what I say to the person is, well, what do you mean by that? And then they tell me what they think a born-again Christian is, and I'm like, no, I'm not that, <laughs> you know? Let's talk about what... So, so there's all these preconceptions that people have, right? So, so some people think like, oh, okay, a born-again Christian. Well, that means that you're someone who's like really emotional. Like you're a very emotional person. You just like to, you like to be expressive in church and you raise your hands in church and you're just very emotional. Or maybe they think, you know, you're someone who like really messed up your life. You know, you kind of, kind of like on the bottom rung. Maybe you're like, you know, a little bit of a loser or something. I don't know. Like you needed a little bit of help. And so, so you needed the, you needed the structure that religion, you know, supplies and you needed those guardrails. Most people, what they think and like kind of the, the, the false idea that I come up against over and over again is that being a born-again Christian means I vote a certain way, right? And that people assume like, oh, okay, so that means that you're this kind of closed-minded, knee-jerk, conservative, reactionary type person. Uh, and so they so okay, so I can, you know, I know who you vote for, and it's kind of really a political statement more than anything else. And, and none of those stereotypes are true. And we actually see it in his conversation, like who, who he's talking to. Right, talking to Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. He's an incredibly educated, incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful person. He was probably not an overly emotional type, right? He was probably someone who was pretty staid in his presentation, wasn't too like boisterous or flamboyant. flamboyant. He certainly wasn't someone who kind of, you know, needed the moral structure that religion provided. I mean, this guy, he was a Pharisee. I mean, he had the moral structure of all moral structures. He had the law. He wasn't, like, needing extra guardrails in his life. You know, he was, he was about as successful as a person could be, and he wasn't some closed-minded political reactionary, right? I mean, he came to Jesus. He called him rabbi. He didn't come and say, like we saw in you know, the clip that we saw last week with the other, some of the other Pharisees, like, who are you? Who gives you the right to do this? He, he came and he's like, Rabbi, listen, we know that you come from God. Please tell us you know, what, what you're up to. What is the, what is the message that you, that you have for us? So who is the new birth for? The new birth is for everyone. See, this is something, regardless of where you're coming from this morning or where you're at with God, like just, you know, you need to understand what Jesus is saying when he says you must be born again. That the new birth is for, is for everyone. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born again. And so if you consider yourself moral and religious... The new birth challenges your religious morality and says you must be born again. Your, your religion and morality isn't enough. If you, you know, consider yourself you know, comparatively that you're doing pretty well, maybe you say, hey, I'm doing okay in life and I'm towards the top of the ladder that I want to be climbing, the new birth challenges the status quo and says it's not enough for you to be successful. You must be born again. And it also gives us hope that if you're someone who has blown up your life, if you've made mistakes, if you need a fresh start, 
The new birth offers you hope because it says you can be born again. Not just you can be born again, but you must be born again. So the new birth is for everyone, right? There is no salvation. There is no entering the kingdom of heaven apart from experiencing the new birth. And so my next question is this, where is the new birth from? So who's the new birth for? It's for everybody. Where's the new birth from? So let's go ahead and watch the second part of this conversation, and then we'll talk about that. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your word. Okay. So let me read again that part of the conversation. Verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So where does the new birth come from? Now what's interesting here is that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Right? He says you can't experience, you can't come into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, this is the only time in the entire Gospel of John where the phrase kingdom of God is used. It, John doesn't use it any other time, which is surprising because Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the kingdom of God all the time. They always have Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. This is the only place we see it, and I think it's significant because Nicodemus, when he heard the kingdom of God, he would say, okay, you're talking about the future. You're talking about what God's going to do when he comes and he closes the curtain on sin and death and all the injustice of planet Earth and he makes a new heaven and a new earth and he renews all things. That's when the kingdom of God is going to come. So he would have thought that, God, that Jesus was talking about a future thing that was going to happen. So the kingdom of the, the new birth would come from the future. Now, let me tell you something that I find really interesting. At least I found it, I found it really interesting. I, I, I kind of explored this. I was suggested of this interpretation from Tim Keller, who's a pastor of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in the city. So, so uh, in, uh, in Matthew 19.28, Jesus said to them, 
Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. So he says the renewal of all things, right? That's what Nicodemus would have thought, would have thought, this is what Jesus is talking about. That moment when everything's all renewed. The, the Greek word that's used for the renewal of all things is palagenesia. Palagenesia, the renewal of all things. There's only one other time that this word palagenesia is used in the New Testament, and it's when the Apostle Paul is talking about the new birth. Let me show you. Titus 3, 5 to 6. He saved us through the washing of palagenesia. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I want you to see something. That the new birth and the renewal of all things are connected. It's the palagenesia, the same word, the same thing. What that means is that when you are born again, that the same power through the Holy Spirit that God is going to use to renew the universe, to make a new heaven and a new earth and abolish death and make everything right, right? That's a lot of power. That is the palagenesia. When you're born again, what happens, what God is going to do in the future age invades your heart. Invades your heart. So the power, yes, you can, that is, it is amazing. The power, the born again experience means that the power of the future age is penetrating your heart now and transforming you and changing you. Don't ever underestimate the power of the new birth experience because it is the power of the future age coming into your heart here and now. The same power that's going to renew and change all things. God starting with you first. See, that power is invading your heart and your transformation is a sign that one day God's going to make everything right in this world. See, that's the power of the new birth. Don't ever underestimate. The power of the new birth, the palagenesia penetrating your heart. I love hearing stories of life transformation. And I've had, I've had the blessing, especially, I don't know why, the last few months, it seems like I've heard so many stories from groups where I've been leading or te- classes that I've been teaching where people have just said to me, you have no idea how much my life has changed. They came into this church and they didn't know about Jesus, didn't know about the gospel. And we're like, well, this is weird. Why do they have bagels? And why do they, you know, and, and, and then ended up hearing the gospel, submitting their life to Jesus, being born again. And I've heard from so many people who've just said, man, you have no idea. This is what my life was like then. This is what it's like now. This is where I was, how I would have responded then. This is how I respond now. Everything's changing. Everything's different because of the palagenesia. Don't settle For just a little bit of life change. You have the power of the age to come inside of you. Don't settle for a little more religion. A little bit. I'm a little bit nice. Listen, the the power of the future age is inside of you. God is at work. God is changing you. God is transforming you. God is conforming you into the image of his son because you've experienced the new birth. You've experienced the palagenesia. The new age is breaking into the here and now in your heart. So it comes from the future. Third question, what does it do? Right, what does the new birth do? It is the implantation of new life, the divine life through the palagenesis implanted in you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you feel. And it changes your identity. Let me just talk for a minute about identity. 
Identity is a big deal, right? Your identity is, uh, it's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's your sense of self and your sense of worth. That's what your identity is, right? And identity is a huge part of your life, huge part of the way you think of yourself. Your, it's, your, it's your sense of self and your sense of worth. Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's talking about entering the kingdom of God like a baby being born. And so when a baby is born, a baby is part of a family. And so John says this just a couple chapters earlier in John 1, 12 to 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so your, the new birth changes your identity. Now, we are a very multi-ethnic church. And so that means we have people who were born in, not for, you know, they come from a non-Western culture. And we have people who come from a Western culture. And so the, our identities, the identity that you have from a non-Western culture is very different from a Western culture. So in non-Western culture, family is your primary identity marker. Right? I mean, that if you think of yourself and your worth and your value, whether you're a good person, whether you're a responsible person, whether you're a successful person, it has a lot to do with your family of origin. Right? If you're, if you're fulfilling your family's expectations, if you haven't brought any shame to your family, if, if your relationships are good and you're connected, then your identity is you think of yourself as a good person. Now, that is a beautiful thing. Right? That is a, that is a, it's a beautiful thing because what it means is you're going to be connected to your family, that you're going to honor your mother and father, which is a good thing to do, that you're not going to be doing life alone. You've got, you've got people, you've got support, but there's a flip side. Right? You could have a lot of pressure that's put on you from your family. There could be expectations that you have to carry that, that you don't want to carry. I've talked to people from non-Western cultures who had real problems because they're trying to follow Jesus and where Jesus is leading them is different from what maybe their, their father expected of them. And so, so a lot of people kind of get their identity, non-Western people, from family. Now, if you're from the Western culture, you get your identities wrapped up in a different way. It's about expressive individualism. Your identity is about you expressing your individuality, right? Think about the world that we live in now. Think about what people are talking about. You need to go out into the world, and you need to pursue your unique dreams, and you need to pursue your unique role, and now it's like there's all these different genders and different ways that you can identify yourself. You can curate your own identity, and you have to express yourself, and you have to put it out there, and that's what's successful. And your family, if they don't understand, well, they're just toxic. I'm going to cut them off. And so now so you're, you're pursuing your identity. You're expressing yourself. And so there's freedom, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to carve my own, my own path, and I'm going to make this up while I go. Now, and, and one of the ways that we see people now is just really seen and so clear through people using Instagram or TikTok to not just communicate or stay in touch, but to express their individuality, to express their, their uniqueness. And there's a flip side to that, because that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. If you like kind of reject other identity markers and ways of being said, I'm going I'm to make it all up while I go and I'm just going to pursue my own course. 
That's a hard road. And so what we're seeing now with younger generations is we are seeing a pandemic of anxiety. And I believe that there is, a, there is a, an absolute through line between as we become more and more of an expressively individualistic society and the rise of anxiety in people because that is a lot of pressure to bear, that you have to kind of curate your own identity. And so when you're born again, see, you have a new identity. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to... Re you know that you are a child of God. You know that you have been adopted, that you are a daughter, you are a son of God. And so you know that your father loves you, that he's for you. Now listen, I don't think that John was anticipating, in John chapter 1, when he wrote this, he wasn't anticipating 21st century Western expressive individualism. But it's interesting what he said. He, he um draws like a conflict between the new birth and other ways of thinking. He said, children born not of natural descent, right? That's the non-Western identity, nor of human decision. That's the Western identity, but born of God. And so you have a new identity. And it's an identity, listen, the more you become secure and aware that you know who you are, you're a child of God, you're loved unconditionally, you're standing on a rock. And the winds and the waves can come. But you know what? You know who you are and you know who loves you. So you have a strength in your life that you won't get anywhere else because you're born again. You're born into the family of God. So let me just ask you this real quick. Where do you get your identity from? Think about your identity, your sense of value, your sense of worth, your sense of where you fit. Maybe some of you, you get your identity or you're seeking identity from your romantic connections. Right? There's an old Frank Sinatra song that says, you're nobody till somebody loves you. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing that song. I'm going to, you know, get my Frank Sinatra on. You're nobody. Here's, here's what it says. It, it, it really, so many people are caught up in this. You're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody cares. You may be king, you might possess the world and its gold, but you're nobody until somebody loves you. See, the problem with this identity is that you're putting way too much pressure on the person that you're with. Like you're putting weight, you're going to like smother that person because it's not just a relationship, it's, it's like your identity. And so then it might make you stay in an unhealthy relationship. You might stay in a codependent relationship. You might stay in an abusive relationship because your identity is based on I'm nobody until somebody loves me, so I got to do whatever to have this person love me. Maybe you get your identity from your career. You know that it's all about like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb the ladder of success and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to make money and I'm going I'm to establish myself. It's not just your job, it's your identity. The problem with that is that it could pull you away from other important things. You become a workaholic. And so now you're not spending time with your family. You're disconnected from your kids. You don't have any friends. You're not serving in your church because your identity is wrapped up in your career. And then if you hit a speed bump in your career, you're toast. Like you don't get that promotion or you lose your job. It's not just your job. It's your identity. Or maybe you get your identity from being a good person. From like morality and you're a good person and you're like, you, you get, you know, you're one of the right kind of people and, and, and so you're a good person and you volunteer and you serve and you help people. That's a, you know, good way to be. But if you're getting your identity from it, we've all known there's a hardness that can creep into people who are good people. Right, whether they're religiously good people or just secularly good people. There's a hard, you can get into that like Phariseeism. 
right? Where you just judge other people and you think you're better. But when we're born again, we know who we are. We're a child of God. It changes our identity. The fourth is, how does it come? So how does it come? How, now listen, if no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again, then it's really important for us to understand how it comes. Let's watch the third clip because Jesus deals with the issue of how it is that we're born again. Let's watch. Leave your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles. Yes, but even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes, they wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? I just, isn't that awesome? John is there eavesdropping, writing it all down so we could read it and talk about it today. So, so, uh, so, so what Jesus is referring to is this, this situation that you find when you see like the Israelites and they're wandering through the wilderness. They complained. They're like, we don't like the manna. This is terrible. And so God judged them and he sent these poisonous snakes. And so the Israelites are being bitten by the snakes and they're dying. And so God tells Moses to make a bronze snake and lift it high up on a pole. And so if you got bit by a snake, you know, I guess these were really poisonous snakes. People were dying quick. And so you, all you had to do was look to the pole, look to the bronze snake, and you would be healed. You'd be fine. And so what Jesus says is he says, listen, I'm coming like that bronze snake that I've come to save people, not from venom, but from sin. And that what you need to do is you need to look to me. You just have to look to me. And see, this was hard for Nicodemus to hear. This is hard for us to hear because we want to do something more than just look. Right? Every other religion says, here's what you do to be saved. Here's what you need to do. Here's the, you know, the, the, the pillars and the path and the this and the law. But what Christianity says, and it's the only one, it says, no. You know what? All you got to do is look. All you got to do is look. And he's talking about the new birth, right? This whole thing is about, is about the new birth. We want to work hard for it, but, but how hard does a baby work to be born? The mother works really hard, right? I remember when Maggie was born, 
my second, my first daughter, my second child. Norma, the delivery was going really slow. And, you know, she was like, you know, her, she was having contractions, but they weren't really doing too much. And so she wasn't given an epidural. They're like, well, wait, we're not going to get there yet. And then all of a sudden, the contractions came, like, in force. And she was, like, fully dilated. She got nothing. I mean, I'm like, do you want me to go down in the street and score you something? Because, I mean, she's like, she was, it was rough. It was rough. So Norma did a lot of work. Maggie, not so much. Me, nothing. I'm just like sitting there observing. Uh, and it was, it was a heck of a lot. But you see, it says this in Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And this is where we see that John 3, 16, in that context, right? God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, just look to him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so we look to him and we are saved. We are not condemned. We rest in his love and grace, right? We look to Jesus dying on the cross and we realize that that we repent of our trying to save ourselves. We repent of our morality. We repent of our sins. We repent of our trying to carve our own path. We repent of our false identities. We look to him and we're saved. We are not condemned. And the last question is this. How do you know it happened? How do you know it happened? How do you know that you've experienced the new birth? And so let's, let's look at the final clip here, and we see that we see Nicodemus as he's, you know, he's not looking yet to Jesus on the cross. That will come. But we see him just being so overwhelmed and realizing what this means and, and who this is that's standing in front of him. Let's watch the final scene. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students, I said, she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life. I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Follow you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I can't. You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. (laughs) I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? To lead a nomadic life? To to give up who I am? It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your 
born-again mysteries. <laughs> uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave, and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. You can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. You know, just seeing seeing the words of Jesus and all the stuff that's right there on the page just brought to life. It really, it hits you. Um, so how do you know that you've been born again, right? You look to Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him, and then the palogenesia is inside of you. So your life is going to change. You don't have to show a changed life to be born again, but your life is going to change if you are born again. And for some, listen, for me, when I first surrendered my life to Jesus, man, it was like the sky was bluer. I heard birds singing. I mean, it was just, but you know, it doesn't always work that way for everyone. There's been times in my life where it's just by faith and it's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. But you look at the trajectory of your life and you see something's changed. Something's different. I don't get, you know, I still get angry, but it's, it's different. It maybe not, I'm not quite as triggered as quickly as I used to be. Or I look around and I say like, man, I really, I'm thinking about things differently. My identity's different. My purpose is different. My, you know, just, I'm, I'm little by little being conformed into the image of Jesus. Because the, because the new life, the, the power to transform the universe is inside of you. And so with Nicodemus, you know, I, they, they, this is one of the things where they went like beyond the page, but it's an interesting thought, imaginative thought, that what if Jesus asked Nicodemus to be one of his 12 disciples? We know Jesus didn't, uh, Nicodemus didn't become one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And then, so you'll see him, you know, he wrestles with that, and it's, it, with next episode you'll see like what happens with that. But, but here's something we do know about Nicodemus. The only other time he's mentioned in the Bible John chapter 19, after Jesus died on the cross, verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leader. So he's following Jesus, but he's kind of a little bit scared. But, but now he decided, I'm going to go public. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out there. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus. 
the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And so, and so they went, Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea, two guys with a lot to lose. They went to Pilate. I mean, there's a politically charged environment. I mean, you know, everyone's on edge. And so they go to Pilate and like, can we have the body? And so I'm sure the Sanhedrin didn't like to hear that one of their own was publicly taking Jesus down from the cross and was preparing his body. Another thing about this, too, is that like a, a member of the Sanhedrin, I mean, like slaves did this kind of work, you know, like not someone who was a member of the Sanhedrin. So something was going on. There was transformation that was happening. There was, there was the, the change that was happening when you realize who Jesus is. I just, I love this. Let me end with this. You know, you know what, well, let's do this. Let's all stand up together. And I want us to do something. I tried to do this at nine. It didn't work as, I mean, it, it worked, but I, I can do it better than I did it at nine. And so uh, John three sixteen, that famous verse, we're going to read it together. But what I want you to do is I want you to put your name instead of the world. I want you to say your name. All right, so let's, let's read this together. For God so loved Phil that he gave his one and only son, that when Phil believes in him, he shall not perish, but have eternal life. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, you have invited us into this incredible reality. Lord, you are the one that we've been looking for. You are the one who makes sense of our life. You are the one who saved us. You are the one who paid the price for us. And Lord, we thank you that we have been born again by the Spirit of God. We thank you, God, that the palagenesia is, the, the, Lord, the renewal of all things is living inside our hearts. And so, God, I pray in Jesus' name that your power would be released in our hearts. God, that your power to love our family, your power to endure difficult circumstances, your power to be faithful to you when it's hard, when there's pressure, your power, Lord, your hope, your love, your joy. God, I pray that it would be released right now. God, the palagencia, the renewal of all things would be released in our hearts and life right now. And we're going to have people from the prayer ministry team. They're going to be standing over here to my right. And, and you know what? I'm not going to give you a laundry list of get prayer for this or get prayer for that or get prayer for something else. Whatever it is. I almost stepped off the stage and I would have needed prayer. <laughs> Whatever it is. Maybe you need healing. Maybe it's a life situation. Maybe there's a hopelessness. Maybe with the holidays coming, it's getting hard. It's, it creates difficulties and challenges. Wherever it is, you need the palagenesia released in a, it's a greater power in your life that the new birth that is, that is inside of you would just manifest and give you the strength, the strength that comes from a future age, the new identity that comes from you being born into the family of God, that it would do its work and strengthen and transform your life. Wherever you're feeling it right now, wherever you need the power and presence of God to break into your life, let somebody pray with you after the service. They'll be over here to my right. They would love to pray for you. And so for anyone who has not yet been born again, you have not yet looked to Jesus, you must be born again. You must, that's not a threat, it's an invitation. 
It's an invitation to the life of God, the strength of God, the forgiveness of God, the identity that only God can give, the hope and the strength that comes from Him. And yes, it's an invitation so you can know that now you have entered the kingdom of heaven and you don't have to fear tomorrow, whether tomorrow is challenges that come or whether tomorrow is the day of your death. You don't have to be afraid because now you're safe and secure in the kingdom of God and Jesus has promised He's never going to leave you, He's never going to forsake you because you're born again by the Spirit. And so I just want to invite you and encourage you to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. That's all you got to do. You got to look to Him. You don't have to like, okay, I'm going to be really good for a while and I'm going to show God I mean, nope, that you just look. You don't have to say, well, I don't know, I was kind of born, my mom's really religious, so maybe I'm okay. No, no, you got to look. You've got to look yourself. You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to repent. You've got to believe. You've got to look. You've got to put your faith and trust in Him. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come right now and just speak to any hearts, Lord, who have not yet been born of the Spirit, who haven't had the palingenesia invade their heart and transform their life. Give them faith to believe right now, Lord. And if you're ready to, if you're ready to submit yourself to Jesus and look to Him, say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to be born again by your Spirit. I want the eternal life that only you provide. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I ask you to forgive all of my sins. And come and live inside of me through your Holy Spirit. Renew me from the inside out. And from here on out, I'm going to follow you. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Lord, I just pray right now, God, that your, your spirit would do the work that you do. Bring your joy, bring your forgiveness, bring your hope, bring your comfort in Jesus' name. And if you're here in the room, I'll ask you to do one other thing on your connection card. You can check off that you decided to become a follower of Jesus. If you already submitted your connection card, you can like unsubmit it. You can go back into it and you can, you can check that off on that connection card. Or you can text follow to 201-584-7188. And I'll send you an email this week. And I'll, we're going to send you some stuff in the mail, that uh, some booklets and things that can really help you out. All right, but we're going to end the service now. We already got prayer people over there ready to pray for you, ready to pray for, for a greater measure of the palogenesis you're releasing to your heart. Join me for step three of the growth track in just a few minutes. Hope to see lots of you guys on Thanksgiving Eve, um, but have a wonderful Thanksgiving. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.